Hey guys, welcome back to Floral Couch Conversations. I'm Emily. And I'm Melissa. It's really cold in your house. I see you um, came prepared. I'm in like shorts and a t-shirt and you're in long sleeves and long pants. <laughs> well, it is like 71, de- 72 degrees out. So it's like slightly more chilly than it has been. I don't consider that chilly. Though. It's not chilly, but it is chillier than yeah. 96, which it was a few days ago. Yeah, that was brutal. So, um you're here at night we're jumping right into the weather talk (laughs) yes it's like true minnesotans you're here at night and so my thermostat just goes down at night because my bedroom's upstairs and it's like a Mm. 10 degree difference you wrap yourself in blankets yeah how else do you sleep otherwise the monsters get you totally no i 100 percent agree yeah so that's why it gets colder at night Mm -hmm. it's like a good 71 during the day okay okay so yeah, but yeah, I did come prepared because I knew it'd be cold. <laughs> I, I could tell. Actually, it was like one of the first thing I noticed when you walked in. I was like, she came prepared. I have a, well, the last time I was here, I wasn't cold, but I have a tank top on underneath this, and I needed a, I needed a light sweater. A light sweater, not not quite a wubby, but not a wubby. I will <laughs> save those for the winter. <laughs> um. So we read and stuff. We've read some pages and stuff well actually it's it's like screens in in a kindle yeah but they're still numbered right the pages true 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 true. (laughs) um anyway (laughs) is that true it is true (laughs) it is true um (laughs) like you're alluding to it is book club episode (laughs) you guys we're killing it today we're just top notch i'm just like I was telling Alyssa before we started recording this, I'm like a little stimulation overload just based on like Instagram, which I probably should just get off and not go on, but I got to learn stuff and I got to know stuff and there's other places to do that. I do realize, um, but just like all the like political stuff and like, I know we need to keep, we need to stay informed and we need to like do our part, but I'm a little weary today. I get that. I've actually, I used to get all of the notifications for my social media Mm -hmm. pushed Mm -hmm. and I've turned those off. So I like only check social media once a day at night and I like resist all the other times because like, otherwise my brain just like can't handle it. I like that. I like that idea. I don't have any notifications, like social media notifications, but I do just like go on it out of habit a lot, I feel like. And just like being at home and not having people to interact with in person makes it hard because I, I'm i just always sitting at a table. It's like the mindless or scrolling. Couch. Yeah. And um, yeah, today I... I did a little too much, a little too many deep diving into different places, and I'm going to take a break for a while. Okay. I feel like I've mentioned that on, like, every episode. I'm like, gotta delete it, gotta delete it. I mean, it's hard because we know we, like, we'll never, like, actually delete it for good, so Mm -hmm. it's just, like, a balance. Okay, so we (laughs) are talking about two different books today, so buckle it, buckle buckle it buckle in oh it sounded like you said buckle it i said buckle in but i was laughing because i was trying to beat you to saying buckle up buckle up and in 
prepare for this journey. So the first book we're going to talk about <laughs> is Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. And it was good. I really like it. Initial thoughts. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a quick read. And it was in honor of Pride Month, which is fun. Yeah. So the premise of the story is like the main character is the first son of the president of the United States, which is a woman, which was great. Also, side note, I did not realize until recently, and maybe this is just me being really dumb, Mm -hmm. but everything you can put an Otis after. I like used to think it was just like POTUS and like a couple of them, but like everything you like can be abbreviated like that. First, wait, first son of Otis? Yeah, I think that's what they were abbreviating it as. Yeah, SCOTUS? Yeah, like I just, I didn't know that everything could be abbreviated like that. Or I hadn't seen him previously. Oh, well, now you know. I'm glad this book enlightened <laughs> you. Really- so um, the premise. So the premise, the first son, son of the president of the United States, who is a woman. Um, and he has like this weird relationship with the prince of England. And at first they're enemies, like they hate each other for no reason. And yeah, then, it was like a misunderstanding at their first meeting yeah. and then had this like feud. And then they, I gotta say, the flights in this book to and from the United States to England were real quick. They did not take <laughs> long. <laughs> if only. Anyway, um, but then they get together for like, they're like forced to become like fake friends. And then all of a sudden, there's like some weird sexual, not weird. There's like some sexual tension and the Alex, right? Is the son. Alex is the son. And he's kind of like, what's going on with this Prince guy? I really like talking to him, um, but I'm supposed to hate him. And then all they're at a party together and the Prince kisses Alex and, um, there was a lot of like steamy scenes. <laughs> yes. Um, which always great. Um, <laughs> and it, no, but I think it was um, like overall, it was like a good message because it's like, what, what if that happened? Like, what if the president of the, I didn't finish the premise. No, you didn't. Okay. So, so then, what happens? So there's then, some steamy scenes and then it ends. Mid act. I got really distracted by the steamy scenes. Um, <laughs> Do you need a minute? <laughs> okay, I'm back. So, <laughs> they fall in love post steam. And. Um, it, like they keep it a secret and but they have they have all their secret uh service people like keep it a secret too which is crazy because it's like what if you had just like a person following you around that had to keep your secrets anyway um they fly back and forth from the u.s to england a lot um and then it like leaks that they're together and they like i don't know it's a lot of drama like they deny the guy deny the prince denies being gay and he like has to stage like paparazzi pictures with um, another girl. 
and that's because um like the first son alex he was more open to going public mm-hmm. but the prince he knew his family would not be supportive right and but yeah the prince was dealing with like super like conservative like archaic rules like you cannot come out at this as this like we cannot let you even admit to yourself that you might be gay um and so it was interesting to learn to have like two kind of different things was like alex even though he was the president like president's son like his mom was still like i love you like mm-hmm. if this is what you want to do like we can do it and then but the prince of england was like hell no like you need to be a prince and get married and have little princess and princesses. Right, like, this is what you were born to do. Right. Like, suck it up. We don't care. Yeah. Happiness is not a factor. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the whole time I was, I was reading this, I was like, what if, like, what if this happened in real life? Like, there's no, first of all, no way it would turn out, like, happy ending. No. Um, like, this book did, but... It's just kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, and I don't know if um, the president of the United States, depending on who it was at the time, um, would be as supportive as the president was in this book. No. <laughs> Honestly, probably they probably would have done the same thing as the English. Yeah, they would England have people. made a deal and both people would be miserable mm-hmm. for... Mm-hmm. Not, maybe not miserable, Or it would like unhappy. come out later and be like a scandal. So stupid. Anyway... Yeah. I did, like, I like how it, like, twisted, like, a romantic story, which, like, with, like, a same-sex couple, which, which, like, admittedly, I don't read a lot of. Same. This is the first, like, I feel like we read a lot of rom-coms. Yeah. But, like, this is the first, yeah, Mm same-sex couple. Um, So, I liked how it makes, like, that aspect with, like, fun romance and also, um like kind of like history-ish like of like an election and um like how things are done in like royal family which Mm -hmm. i don't know if she actually did like real research on if this is how it goes down but but it made you like think we can imagine yeah yeah um so i thought it had a lot of like aspects that made it a good book I agree. I, yeah, I don't know. I always like, it always feels like an interest. I love books where you're like, you'll never know like the inner workings of the White House, except for if you read like Becoming or <laughs> like a book about this, however factual or not. But yeah, it was, I would recommend it. Um. So I was looking up questions to like add to our discussion of this book and mm-hmm. I thought they were all not that great, but one stood out to me and, um, that is, why do readers have royal fever? What is uh, what is it about royalty that sparks such interest? What do you think about this royal family? Did it make you think differently about real life royal families? Are you like a royal follower? No. Like I didn't watch the royal wedding You didn't wake up at three in the morning to watch the no. royal wedding? Nope. See, I never have either. I don't get the fascination. Mm-mm. Um... But I did really like the movie The Prince and Me back in the day. So. Is that Julia Stiles? Yeah. Hmm. 
in Wisconsin. I don't think I've seen it. No. Uh-uh. Oh. Um. I mean, I'm a big Cinderella person. Like, love all the Cinderella movies. Um, but I've never. But that's never made me like want to be like a princess or. Wait, no, false. I take that <laughs> back. Oh my gosh. Story time. So, when Princess Diaries came out, I was in fourth oh. grade, and I vividly remember going to see the movie and just like it changed my life queen of denovia and i remember um going home and like going to bed and then i remember like waking up the next morning and just being like i'm not a princess like why (laughs) why didn't this happen to me like why is this not my life and (laughs) It really affected me. So I had that with a different movie. Which one? Matilda. What? I was like, why can't I move things with my mind? Like oh, I would, I'd I try. Like, I wouldn't. I well, know. I didn't want her life. Okay. Well, until she got adopted by the nice teacher lady. Yeah. But like, I was like, okay, maybe if I like try, I can like move things with my mind and it never happened. Yeah. We'll see. Side tangent. <laughs> Could still happen. Um. Anyway. But, like, real-life royal family, I've never been, like, hmm. But I wonder if it's because, I don't know where the concept came from, like, of Cinderella and stuff. But, like, that's always been something that I feel like we've grown up around. So I am, like, attracted to, like, if I'm going to read a rom-com, like, or watch a romantic movie, like, if it's about a royal family... I am intrigued. That's true. And it's, it's, I think it is because it's like a life that I don't know about. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a look into this like very mm-hmm. like privileged like bubble. Yeah. Um, but I do think it like adds a little something to the story. Whimsy. Whimsy. <laughs> Mumsy. Would you say it adds whimsy to the story? Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, cool. Good book. Yeah. But. We have more important things to discuss right now. Okay, if you weren't buckled in before. You really need your seatbelt now. For reals. Maybe like double buckle. I don't know. A couple snacks. Fill up your water. Stay hydrated. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but for real. Um, The other book we read for this book club is How to Be Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. Which, fun fact, in the book we learned he changed his last name. Mm-hmm. Or no, his his middle name, sorry. From something that had, like, racist connotations. Speaking of changing names, quick side tangent. Yes. Okay. Lady Antebellum changed their name to Lady A, which happened to be an actual artist's career name. And now they're suing her? It looks really bad. It looks really bad for them. Like, how does that make any sense? Like, you did something, like, that's, like, the opposite effect. Like, Well, the the worst part is that they posted a picture on Instagram where they were, like, we're figuring it out. Thumbs up over Zoom. Like, we're compromising. We're both going to use the name Lady A. And then they, like, turned around and sued her. But... They're suing her because she turned around and was like, okay, fine. Give me $10 million. And so now they're suing her because of that. 
but if but, that's what your life's work is under if exactly. someone's gonna take your name exactly. like she's totally what you're worth yeah she's totally validated in saying like pay me for it right like yeah. if you i'll give it to you for a price mm-hmm. like and it's not like they couldn't i would assume couldn't afford that and it just i feel like to me it shows like the band-aid like oh look we're doing what's right but like okay yeah. your, your heart's yeah. not really in it yeah well and they've been asked to change it like before this right like it didn't it's not like they just all of a sudden had this revelation that said like oh our name has to do with the civil war like well pre- also pre-civil like, war times i don't know that i'm like i was that familiar with the word antebellum in I the wasn't. first place so mm-hmm. for them to pick it is like telling in the first place i feel like because that is the only reference that i've heard that word before is in the band name and now I found out its connotation, which I didn't know before. But if they chose that. Right. Like, why did it was they in choose there, that? It was somehow in their state like of mind. Like, they would know it. the pre-Civil War times? Why is that your band name? Right. Like, ugh. so many problems. And, like, bands change their name all the time. Like, I know that they've built, like, so much around this. But wouldn't it be better to just, like, change it to something else? right i don't know i mean people call i think they said because people called them lady a yeah well they also had like trademarks on it for certain things but not necessarily like performing as a band like as a band name they didn't have the trademark as like the name of their band they had it in like other contexts Ugh, i don't know it's just it'll be interesting to see a year from now all these like grand gestures and how those people are continuing to do the work mm-hmm. or have forgot moved on to the next way they can look great in the media my skeptical <laughs> analysis okay sorry i digress okay ibram we're back Pendy. we're back to this um so we had this book on our list but we kind of like I feel like we kind of decided to read it quickly because we heard that like white fragility is not the best source. And it and it is in or, direct contradiction. Right. To like how a to lot be of the things that white fragility talks about um, in this book, How to Be Anti-Racist, he contradicts and says that like that is racist thinking. So... Um, I mean, we can get more into this. I do think that White Fragility was like a good book to read, but it is definitely like the difference between that and this is like White Fragility was like, hey, white people, like, here's the start. Like, this is like, wake up, (laughs) wake up. This is how you think. And it is problematic. And this, how to be anti-racist is more like, really diving into like all not maybe not all but like a lot of the different aspects to the history of racism and the definitions of right racism mm-hmm. and actions that have happened and um the definitions of how to be anti-racist and how like we actually reverse this and he spends a lot of time talking about um which also white fragility mentioned is that like Racist isn't, like, a binary term, like, racist, not racist, Mm -hmm. like, good, bad. It's, um, like, you can be 
racist one minute and anti-racist the second just based on like what you're saying or what your actions are yeah um the other thing i'll just say before we get started is i think we've said this all along but like we're open to continuing our learning and like if we understand something new like readjusting our points of view so we may say something that contradicts something we previously thought to be true Mm -hmm. um based on just continuing to learn so i just want to throw that out there and that's the beauty of things that we can (laughs) learn and change our opinions and our thoughts (laughs) and we still smile and have a great day yes indeed so one of the first things that i highlighted and was like huh that kind of makes you think is he has he starts the word um he starts a paragraph abolitionists or rather progressive assimilationists conjured what I call the oppression inferiority thesis. So in going deeper into like the different definitions that he talked about. So he talked about assimilationists, which is like a type of racist that, that just like assumes that, um, black people or people of any culture need to just like assimilate themselves into the culture that they're in Mm -hmm. so like they're like i'm not racist but they believe that like everyone should just like assimilate to the culture and it's ignoring like unique experiences yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. um so i was like normally when people are talking about like history of the civil war they're like abolitionists were the heroes mm-hmm. like they wanted to abolish slavery but a lot of them were really just like hey no we need to like stop slavery but these people need to just assimilate into our culture and it is kind of that mentality that has like affected everything is like well we freed them so it's fine mm-hmm. when it's like no there's more that needs to be done right yeah I agree. Um, One of my first highlights was actually a critique and it just happened to be the first thing. Like everything, I think of my like 15 highlights, everything Mm -hmm. else is like, just like, oh, I learned that. But Mm -hmm. I just thought it was interesting. So he talked about how um, black drug offenders remain in prisons for about the same length of time as violent white criminals, which to me was interesting because um, I don't feel like it's comparing apples to apples. I think that it would have been more powerful to compare violent crime to violent crime. I only say that because he references the war on drugs, which created drug sentence minimums. So like I have a family member that may have been involved in drug trafficking and it's an automatic life sentence. Automatic. So I don't feel like it was as powerful because he didn't compare it to violent crime because i would imagine that based on our system as it's set up that um black offend violent crime offenders stay in prison longer than white violent crime offenders um and it just doesn't acknowledge that our system is broken anyway because violent crimes aren't prosecuted as harshly Mm -hmm. interesting yeah i thought i just felt like he could have been had a more impactful argument there and maybe like because of the drug sentence minimums based on the war on drugs Right, I get what he's trying to say, but also, you're right, it could have been, like, someone could argue against, like you are saying, 
that's not comparing like the right things. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I, yeah, I think his argument is probably valid, but the drug, yeah, the, the minimum sentencing for drugs actually don't, I don't feel like discriminate against race because it's, if you have this much or over, it's an automatic minimum. Mm-hmm. So I also, um, what'd you think about his critiques of the word of microaggression? Oh, um, sorry. I had to think about it for a second. Um, I thought it was really interesting because, like, I agreed. Like, maybe they're called microaggressions because it's not overt racism and it's not segregation or, like, like the things you see in The Help or whatever movie you're watching. It's, um, like, little covert comments. And so, like... Yes, you could say that they're microaggressions, but adding up over time, like a, a person experiencing that multiple times a day or every day or every week, um, it is like it is abuse. It's racism. Yeah. Right. He says a persistent daily low hum of racist abuse mm-hmm. is not minor. Yep. And I just think it's so interesting because I have recently taken like HR trainings that talk about microaggressions and I've just had never heard that perspective before on it. And it's very valid. So I just that stood out to me. Um, the next item that I that was interesting. I feel like I just learned a lot about history. Like I've never been super into history mm-hmm. and there's like a lot of things that I was like, how did I never hear about this? And if I was I either wasn't taught it in school or I was not paying attention. Mm-hmm. Both are possible. <laughs> but um when he talked about how when um Clinton talked about like the first survey of the entire human genome, is that something you ever remember hearing about? No. Um they like mapped out genetic code and like basically proved that all races were 99.9% the same. So there wasn't like biological differences. I just Mm -hmm. feel like that's something that we should be taught in school. That seems like a big part of history for like the U.S. president to acknowledge that. Yes. Like 100% (laughs) 100 agree. And also like, I guess I never thought differently. Like, I never, like, it never occurred to me that, like, oh, they're biologically different for me. Like, well, and we were alive when Clinton was president. Yes. Like, that's not that long ago that no. we we spend U.S. dollars to prove this. Also, like, huh? <laughs> right. Like, good way to spend your money. Um but they, she did talk about that in White Fragility. Like, that was a point that was brought up, like, scientifically. Yeah. And I feel like we've heard that in a lot mm-hmm. of context. I guess I just mm-hmm. didn't realize, like... That it was, like, a real study that happened, like, while we were alive. Yeah. And yeah. that, like, that that's something that we were pointing to in history that wasn't, like, that long ago at all. Mm-hmm. Like, that we felt the need to do a study to prove that. <laughs> I just, I feel like I was shocked by that. So... One thing that stood out to me is um, kind of it was kind of a theme where he was saying like, um, and I think that like we're kind of struggling with this now is like speaking to people of color or black people as like a collective group when like you can't do that. Like, like it seems like you should be able to, but because like. But 
none of their like it's just like every person every person has unique experiences like like they've like they could have experienced similar things but they're not you can't like group them all into the same experience bucket so he said there's a thin line between an anti-racist saying that individual blacks have have suffered trauma and a racist saying blacks are a traumatized people yeah i look at that too actually mm-hmm. um because i do think like i have definitely said like okay but we're not acknowledging the oppression of black people mm-hmm. and not all blacks i guess have been oppressed even though systemically there are issues i think is the point yeah and that's definitely something I struggle with, like how to better speak about it. Well, and I think with this point, it's like important to say like not all black people are traumatized because if you're trying to use that as like a way to explain like their behavior or something, like you can't do that. You can't generalize them like all into this one bucket and then like someone gets arrested or something happens or like kids falling behind in school or like whatever the issue may be that you're trying to explain. Like you can't just say like, oh, blacks are traumatized people. Like you. (laughs) Right. And I feel like that was his point is like his like leaders and stuff have like and all these sociologists sociologists are trying to like find the answer and it's just not that simple no I would agree with that yeah it's like the it's I feel like that was one of the biggest contradictions to white fragility is Mm -hmm. he is talking focus on the individual Mm -hmm. versus white fragility was focus on the group as a whole Mm -hmm. um but I do think it's a good nuance. Yeah. The ne- the other thing that came like shortly after that was um, I kind of, after every chapter where he would talk about like something specific and then he would kind of like summarize by saying like to be anti-racist is to do this or like think this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after that, he said to be anti-racist is to think nothing is behaviorally wrong or right inferior or superior with any of the racial groups whether the anti-racist sees individuals behaving positively or negatively the anti-racist sees exactly that individuals behaving positively or negatively not representatives of whole races to be anti-racist is to de-racialize behavior to remove the tattooed stereotype from every racialized body behavior is something humans do not races do i felt like that was very powerful yeah one thing I thought was really interesting in the culture and just like general hierarchy discussions throughout the book is um, like you have to not judge things from your perspective. So like in the culture's perspective, he talked about you can't judge cultural standards of black New York compared to the white New York communities. And he also, I feel like made the point several times is like, whatever you believe your right is, comparing that, you're putting yourself at the highest point of the hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's so interesting because it it does take, I think, effort sometimes to like pull yourself out of the like, out of your own way, I guess, to like see things in that perspective. Right. Do you think that's similar to like just having empathy to other people, like others' feelings? Like if, it's not affecting you, but it's... I think so, but I think where it's hard is um, if someone does something, like, I'm trying to think of a good example, that maybe 
it's culturally normal for you, but something that may be perceived as rude if it was like a fellow white person to me. Like it's it's like trying to do the work to understand why might they do X, Y, Z behavior, I feel like. Okay. Yeah. Like, I see what you're saying. Like, yeah. I don't know if I explained that well. So I think that's when it's harder because, yeah, if it's like clearly having empathy, like if someone's hurt, but it's it's I think sometimes it's a step further and like trying to understand why why an action is happening that and maybe looking at it from a different perspective. So you're not like either offended or insulted mm-hmm. or whatever it may mm-hmm. be. Right. So like something happens and you're like, oh, my gosh, like, why did they say that? And like taking a step back. And being like, what could have happened like previously that would make them say this or do this or act this way? Yeah, exactly. Like maybe this is not intended to be how I'm taking it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I like, so another thing that I didn't know about, obviously, not obviously, but (laughs) I just didn't know about this until pretty recently is like the history of HBCUs historically black colleges and universities yeah i think that's what it stands for yeah um, like howard is like a popular yeah, one yeah um so i was actually listening to um higher learning and van and rachel were talking about um and van went to an hbcu so they were kind of, and rachel didn't so they were kind of like talking about their experiences but anyways um when ibram was going to um like he was touring colleges and he toured um, the college that he eventually ended up going to. And it just like felt right to him. And um, he made the point, like if you say something like feels right, like, but you just like, don't know, like normally you don't know why it's just like, you have this feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, He said like, there's usually a reason for that. And like his reasoning was that like, he felt at home around, black people he like wanted to be like in this community um and like I feel like there's certain things in my life where I'm like this just feels right Mm -hmm. and it could be like just because like these are people who I know and um or who are like me and are validating my experiences um and that's not necessarily a bad thing I don't think but yeah, like, I think it's perfectly normal to want to be accepted mm-hmm. as you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the, like, reverse of that, if you're a white person that's only been around white people, you're going to miss out on a lot of things mm-hmm. and not have a good understanding. So it's kind of a balance. Yeah. So he was saying, like, he chose Florida A&M yep. and HBCU, but he didn't look inside himself to really see like why did I make this choice until he was like reflecting back later Mm -hmm. um I was gonna ask you so I feel like on a podcast I recommended to you um to listen to my year in Mensa by Jamie Loftus did you ever listen to that no No. um because I thought it was interesting because he brought up too like how skewed like standardized testing is Mm -hmm. and like IQ tests because it's really like and this like stuck out to me because like a lot of it's saying that like black people are scoring lower on IQ tests, but they didn't have the privilege of the special classes that take you how to teach you how to take a test. Yes. And literally like the hours and hours upon studying for the CPA exam, half of it was 
well, if you're unsure, this is how you should guess. Mm -hmm. And it was like mostly the how-tos of testing Mm -hmm. as much as it was the actual content you had to memorize. And that was just like, I knew based on the year in Mensa podcast that standardized testing was skewed, but that just gave me like a relatable example of like why. And that just really resonated with me. Right. And not to mention like GREs or CPA exams, but just like in general, like the no child left behind. Like, do you remember doing all those tests? Yeah. Like the NWEA tests and stuff? I actually don't remember doing that. Okay. I went to a private school. They, Well, you did too. Well, not the whole time. Yeah. Um, we did like Iowa basics is okay. what we called. I've heard of those. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it obviously sucked because you were just like a kid and you didn't want to take a test. But, uh-huh. but from like his point is... I guess, yeah, you're trying to measure and make sure no child is left behind, but like there's so many different factors and like differences in like places throughout the country. Like, I don't know. You can't compare. You just can't compare everyone's experience. Like it goes back to that same point. Like, um, and I feel like people like, people just talk about this in general where like some people are just bad at tests like they learn in different ways and I feel like that's what his point was in this book is like he didn't learn um like he was never like a good student like he kind of like um kept his grades up just to like d level just so he could play basketball but then like he went on to get his doctorate and like I think something he was passionate about um and uh, yeah I feel like there's way too much emphasis on like keeping kids like to a certain standard mm-hmm. and when like I don't know some they just learn different ways and they're still going to be successful mm-hmm. but you might be hindering them by like putting all this pressure on their like whatever skill you're trying to increase at the time right right I feel like even for me if I remember in college like there's a learning like a learning curve to how you take tests successfully like oh it's totally a game everything it is like everything I is a game school is just it's just a game of it like really is doing just enough to like get however you want to be and like what percentage of content do i actually remember mm-hmm. from school mm-hmm. very low percentage is the answer <laughs> yeah yeah, I don't know. I'm I can't I can't really speak on this for a long time because I'm not an expert. But those yeah. are just my feelings. Yeah. Um. Every system is messed up. Whatever. I also didn't know the testing industry was like a multi-billion. Okay, dollar. that is like I infuriating. Was like, what? Well, I mean, you can only imagine just based on how expensive it is to take tests, like, and how you're so afraid to fail this stupid test that's just a freaking game but because you don't want to have to pay another eight hundred dollars to take the next one well i like remember having that exact discussion with i think my dad or one of my parents because um i had failed one of the cpa exams which meant that i had to pay for the like to retake it on my own and you go and there's a testing center that's employing people that's costing all this money you have to sign up sign up for a time slot if you have to cancel they get a pocket that money and it's just like such a money scam Mm -hmm. like none of that is helping to make sure that 
CPAs are ethical, like or you no. know up to par. Yeah. That is not helping. And it's that. just holding people back <laughs> from exactly like rising up and getting the careers that they want to have. Right. Yeah. That that figure shocked me when I read that. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I was like, makes sense. Uh huh. Um. Okay, so another part of this book that I thought was really important is how he kind of pointed out how white supremacy and racist policies they hurt everyone in different ways but like it's like a white supremacist is like anti-human basically Mm -hmm. um and i kind of just want to read this whole paragraph yeah go for it um So he says, history tells a different story. Contrary to the mantra, white supremacists are the ones supporting policies that benefit racist power against the interests of the majority of white people. White supremacists claim to be pro-white, but refuse to acknowledge that climate change is having a disastrous impact on the white, on the earth white people inhabit. They oppose affirmative action programs, despite white men being their primary beneficiaries. White supremacists, rage against Obamacare even though even as 43% of the people who gained life-saving health insurance from 2010 to 2015 were white they hail Adolf Hitler's Nazis even though it was the Nazis who launched a world war that destroyed the lives of more than 40 million white people and ruined Europe they have confederate flags and defend confederate monuments even though the confederacy stated a civil started a civil war that ended more than 500,000 white american lives more than every other American war combined. White supremacists love what America used to be, even though America used to be and still is, teeming with millions of struggling white people. White supremacists blame non-white people for the struggles of white people when any objective analysis of their plight primarily implicates the rich white Trumps they support. White supremacists is code for anti-white and Okay, so white supremacist is code for anti-white, and white supremacy is nothing short of an ongoing program of genocide against the white race. In fact, it's more than that. White supremacist is code for anti-human, a nuclear ideology that poses an existential threat to human existence. Have you heard that definition of white supremacy before, or that concept? No, but but I don't think that I have, like done any like research or like deep diving into white supremacy just because i'm like scary don't want to go there like don't want to believe that this is happening even though like we have to like yeah i have like conflicting feelings because part of me feels better about that explanation because like it makes me feel like i'm on the victim side Mm -hmm. versus like part of the problem Mm -hmm. But I don't know if that's, like, my fragility. But then um, I also, on the Daily Zeitgeist a lot, they are very encouraging of, no, call it out. That is white supremacy. Like, saying the words white supremacy is, like, a big step um, in, like, making change. Right, because it's it's not just saying that's a microaggression or that's racism. It's saying, like, that is white supremacy. That is what white supremacy like that is why we are in this situation is because of this type of thinking and these type of actions um and i think i will even take back what i just said like i haven't looked into it i haven't researched it because it's scary 
but like that's what we are talking about right now is white supremacy and like even with white fragility like we're talking about like breaking that down and like just learning about like how like white supremacy is more it's more than just those racist that overt racism or that like segregation Mm -hmm. or that it's the policies it's supporting the policies that are causing systemic racism like no i totally agree with you and like i think that's that's exactly it like even um like you took back because you are doing the work Mm -hmm. against white supremacy but it's it's that we're not putting the name to it yeah because we're still it's just not as natural as it's going to be right <laughs> for us to call it well white it's supremacy. hard to look at your friend or your family member or whoever and be like that's white supremacy right um you said something interesting about policy and then um i think later in that same chapter he made a couple points about um like I think a big point in white fragility was that um, because the system is set up for the white man to have the power, white people need to make the change. But saying that white people have the power is taking away from the black judges that could make a change, the black police officers that could make a change. And I just thought that was like super interesting because I felt like that was like very contradictory to white fragility. Mm -hmm. And um I don't know. It's just complex, like with the policy, because you don't want to disacknowledge. Is that even a word? You don't want to not acknowledge the black people in power and like take away their voice or what they can contribute. But society still is set up to benefit the white man. Right. Um, and kind of going further into that white, like in comparing white fragility to this book. Um, the author of White Fragility made the point that um, other races or like black people can't be racist because they don't have the power to like put into those policies and like you're just saying that's not true Mm -hmm. like there are like you're devaluing the people that are in power that happen to be black right and the whole point of this book, How to Be Anti-Racist, is his own journey to becoming anti-racist and to becoming anti-sexist and, and then not having the hierarchy of those different things, like, um, and how they all kind of intertwine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the intersections. So so every, every point that he makes, he gives a story to his own life, saying more like, he was racist here or he was sexist here and then like this is how he learned and yeah and if we haven't already said it ibram is black yes (laughs) i feel like that was no i think we should have made that point like um this all kind of i mean like i said these both white fragility and how to be anti-racist were on our list for um books that we wanted to read but I, I came across an article that was saying that white fragility, the book is like problematic and like kind of like projects like more like a racist thinking. And I 
can kind of see how that happens based on just what we, what we just talked about but also it is like just speaking to white people and i think we we need to be conscious of like the voices we're listening to and like who were like like i don't know there's so many different like we're not gonna get the same message every time we read books like this and books about um that are helping us become anti-racist but it's just like taking in all these things and discussing them and being open and willing to change our minds like as we learn more exactly because like we've talked about there's not a right answer we're just adjusting and doing our best um but i think white fragility makes the points of it's a good starting point for someone who's like white white (laughs) and is like just kind of waking up to these things um and then but then i think you can't stop there like you have to learn from other points of view especially people of color and black people and um yeah yeah and robin actually makes that point is you're never done learning Mm -hmm. so to that extent she does encourage like continuous learning i think that it's like you said it's a very good intro into the discussion because it like definitely made me evaluate some things like about your own life totally by saying that like all white people are racist Mm -hmm. and then this i think just gets into a lot of the nuances once you've kind of done that initial reflection i think it's kind of for me, it was a good order to read these in because I think that this would have been like, although powerful, it had a lot of definitions and a lot of stories um, to kind of tie it in, which was very effective, I feel like. But it would have probably been a little like dense because of all the like content if I wouldn't have started with White Fragility, I think. I agree. I think White Fragility was a little bit more like it didn't like it was a little bit more like straightforward and not like super detailed with like all these different like points from history and it also didn't like weave weave a bunch of different stories together as far as like her personal experience and then just like the information you need to know it was basically just like straight up facts bullet points here's what you need to know and this was more like kind of like a weaving story of like his experiences versus like his experiences history and then and like points from different sociologists and you kind of had to like really be paying attention to like what he like what he was trying to get at Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and I think the difference is like making sure you read from um black people is because he can tell a firsthand account not that it's black people's job to educate us but I think it's um more impactful to have a real world example which you can't really always get from a white person as regardless of how well they're trained Mm -hmm. in diversity Mm -hmm. okay so good book obviously recommend like i think i like i think like we're saying is white fragility and how to be anti-racist are both books like if you're looking for somewhere to start like i think these two Agreed. These two are good. Yeah, because it's good to like think through the comparisons. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And as always, if we said anything on here, we are 
open to feedback, um, corrections. We're just doing our best to educate ourselves. So yep. reach out if you, you would are. like. Totally. Let us know. Um, but for our next book club, dun, 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 we are reading. <laughs> we're going to watch a movie, actually, um, as far as our anti-racism education. Um, we will be watching the 13th. Which is on Netflix, yes. so most people can watch it. So watch it, and then we will discuss that on our next book club episode. And then the book we are reading is... The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. She, didn't she write, um, uh, what's it called? The one about the band. Yes, Daisy Jones Little Six. Yes, I loved that. Oh, perfect. Oh my gosh. Okay, now I'm excited. Okay, I haven't read Daisy Jones Little Six, but. Well, um, you're welcome to borrow it. I very much liked it. Okay. Um, um, but yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, until next time. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Floral Couch Conversations. You can find us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, at Floral Couch Conversations. And if you have any questions or want to reach out to us, floralcouchconversations at gmail.com. And if you're liking what you're hearing, please tell everyone you know and leave us five stars. Thanks, everyone. Bye.